Hi everyone and welcome to A Quick Chai With. I'm Fahana Jamil. And I'm Dina Vicaria and we're thrilled to launch this podcast during South Asian Heritage Month on Prime. For the first time ever in the UK, South Asian Heritage Month is being recognised and celebrated across the country from the 18th of July to the 17th of August. We're really proud of the fact that Pearson via Prime gets to be leaders in recognising the importance of this month for their colleagues. So we're just so excited to have this platform to explore South Asian issues for the first time ever. So for our first episode today, we have Ishan Kader and Mahmouda Ali. So we're going to go around the table and I would like for you to all to tell us a little bit about yourself and what South Asian heritage you identify as. I'm going to start us off. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm a global community manager for NEO and I've been at Pearson just over uh, 13 years now. I identify as British Indian. My mum was born and raised in India. My dad was born in India but raised in Uganda. My family then took refuge in the UK um, uh, when my dad and my family, like many others, were told to leave Uganda uh, during Idi Amin's time in power. So that's a little bit about my background and and how we kind of settled into uh, the UK. I'm Fahana Jamil. Um, I'm a senior content production manager in BNA, um, and I'm also the prime marketing and comms um, co-lead. Um, I guess I identify as Indian Pakistani, which is not normally a label that people go for, but it's my dad's from Delhi and my mom's from Karachi um, and obviously I'm British so I think for me I've been actually quite proud of kind of like managing those two sides of my identity and it's actually kind of given me a really balanced view of um, British South Asian life. My name's Ishan and I, I work in Pearson Higher Education Qualifications. Uh, I just joined Pearson in January. Um, in terms of my identity I'd identify as British Sri Lankan and um, my parents are actually from two different ethnicities within Sri Lanka. So uh, my mom is um, Sinhalese Buddhist. Uh, Sinhalese are the, let's say, the majority group in, in Sri Lanka. And my dad's from a minority Muslim community. Uh, so I've grown up in a fairly uh, pluralistic household, I would say. And my parents moved over to, to the UK in, in the 1970s. And I was born and brought up in, in West London and... Yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I mean, I, I, I lived in areas that were always predominantly South Asian. So I've had a lot of interaction with different members of South Asian communities as well. Um, so that's been an interesting part of how I've formed my kind of broader identity, I would say. So my name's Momoda, I'm Momoda Ali. I work at the Royal Academy of Engineering as Head of Sustainable Development. And um, I guess my work is closely tied with international development and um, working towards um, reaching, meeting the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So particularly passionate about that. My background and what I identify as is British Bangladeshi. Both my parents were born in Bangladesh, uh, technically East Pakistan, I guess, um, but came here when they were very young. My dad when he was about 10, my mum when she was about 16. And I was brought, born and brought up in London um, in a very western um kind of predominantly white environment actually so um a little bit different to um ishan mentioning how he grew up predominantly around more asian people great thanks guys um so i'm gonna go straight into what were your first thoughts when you first heard about south asian heritage month happening um for me personally i was I, firstly i was shocked that we didn't already have this in place 
Um, but then actually when you start looking into the history and the contributions of South Asian culture to Britain, um, much like the West African population and that came through Windrush, we really have contributed a lot to what is modern day British culture. Um, so I actually felt finding like we were being seen. Um, so yeah, I'd be interested in your thoughts and how you felt about it. Oh, yeah, I was uh, a bit like you. I was I was kind of surprised that there hadn't been anything existing uh, before. Um, I I mean, I, I grew up in a period where, you know, when when I remember when goodness gracious me start first started in the late 90s, that was like quite a big thing because it was the first time there was real, uh, let's say, visibility for for South Asian um, comedy on, on on the BBC and kind of the mainstream environment. So, um yeah, I, I think somehow for me, uh, South Asian culture and heritage is subsumed under perhaps broader black identity, not necessarily just Caribbean. So yeah, it's in, it's interesting, and I think it's a positive step that there's there's now something distinct for for that South Asian contribution to be acknowledged and more widely understood in the community. I you just reminded me of goodness gracious me, and I remember as a kid running around going kiss my chuddies kiss my chuddies to everyone <laughs> because that was the line and the other one was what was it it was Russ Malari like yeah. <laughs> it just reminded me of a really cool program that used to come on tv and we, we literally religiously watched that show because you're right it was something that we could identify with and resonate with in terms of our culture and our background and where we came from because we didn't have that much of it I remember growing up and seeing like on EastEnders there used to be like um Gita and Sanjay on EastEnders and it was like really cool to have like that kind of representation on TV. It's interesting now though because that stuff is actually really cringe. I feel like I have to put that disclaimer. <laughs> like <laughs> a lot of brown people now, I don't know, Momoda backed me up. <laughs> I feel like I feel like goodness gracious me now is like oh that's that's a very limited view of what we have to offer and I think it's also this sadness that we can only really express ourselves through humour. Mm -hmm. um, and you couldn't necessarily, I mean, even this new show, A Suitable Boy, it's been, you know, kind of showcased as a all brown, all Asian cast. But when you actually look at the people who've written the script, they're still, I think, white writers. Um, so I think there's there's this whole issue, really, that comes out of this is like, what is actual South Asian representation on TV? And how far have we actually really moved? But that's Momoda, tell us um, <laughs> how you yeah. feel about this question. Yeah, I think if you look at it now, then yes, I agree with what the sentiment that you, you just portrayed there. But I guess at that point, I just was also just reminded how much pride we all took. Like, oh, look, it's something, you know, my mom could watch it with us. We were all kind of laughing at different jokes. Yeah, that's and, true. And it was something that did unify kind of um the different cultures you know I'm not Indian but I definitely felt like I could relate to it I grew up watching Indian movies um, my mom speaks Urdu like you know it was something else it's like oh yeah that's a bit of me now you just like yeah I guess maybe that was one way to get some sort of airtime. um I feel like Mira Sayal and was it Sanjeev Baskar was it Baskar yeah, yeah. um wrote it I guess like from what I've read they also struggled and they did what they could to kind of get visibility but right now we'd expect a lot more mm. from somebody that was making the same attempts. Definitely and just to bring you back to the question in terms of how did you feel when you heard about South Asian Heritage Month then? Yeah I mean I thought 
similar to you guys that I can't believe this hasn't been celebrated before but I also thought what a great opportunity to kind yeah. of explore into like our diverse and rich culture um, and that usually gets clumped in as one and it's very diverse and you know sometimes there's very little in common between different South Asian cultures and uh, I was also thinking a little bit about now that it is um, a kind of annual thing that perhaps it will provide a different narrative to younger South Asians growing up and the pride that perhaps was sometimes lost back in you know back 10-20 years ago that um, you know we could actually contribute and we do contribute to this society um, in the UK and we've been part of making it great you know the Great Britain that we have. Well um, I'm gonna uh, move the dial a little bit in terms of the question here so a, a couple of things that I struggled with growing up being Indian um, was that the, my culture was something that I really kind of grappled with a lot. And my mum was and pretty much still is a little hard on me because we both have very, very different views. Um, she's proper old school. Um, and I remember I remember yelling at her like, you know, if you didn't want me to be so Western, you shouldn't have brought me to like L- London. You should have stayed in India. And it made me resent you know, being Indian, because I thought I had to act a kind of certain way. I mean, the worst were the undies at the weddings who, you know, told my mum that I'm never going to find a husband because I'm so fat and like I won't amount to anything because I don't have a university degree. And I guess over the years, as I got older and more comfortable with who I am and what I believe in, I learned to really appreciate where my family comes from. I appreciate the music and the food and the dance and the clothes. You know, I love being Indian and I really wish that I found my culture at a much younger age rather than in my kind of mid-twenties. What's one of the worst or the best things about growing up British South Asian? And did you come up against any challenges, um, whether that's at school or in the workplace when you were younger with your culture? I mean, from my perspective, I think, um, I mean, it's a really complicated issue, isn't it, about how you begin to familiarise with your, the culture of your of your parents and, and being that, you know, that second generation. Um, I think for me, although, so I, I grew up, first of all, in Southall, which at the time, uh, you know, in the early 80s was already pretty much 100% Asian and specifically uh, Punjabi Sikh. I then uh, moved not far away to Hayes, and then I, I when I, where I went to school, a lot of my friends were Gujarati Hindu, um, and a bit like you, Dina, though their parents had come from mm. Kenya, Uganda, yeah. Tanzania. So actually, they were kind of like, you know, they were they were double detached because their mm-hmm. parents didn't even really know India; they knew East mm-hmm. Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, so although I grew up around a lot of Asians, um, my own Sri Lankan community was actually quite small. Uh, my, as I said, my parents are from two different um, ethnicities and their friends, you know, just to put it in context, they worked in the airport industry in, in Colombo in the 70s. So the friends that they have here are their friends that kind of moved over at the same time. They all settled, settled around Heathrow Airport and they represent quite a diverse community of Sri Lankans. There's a lot of Christians, Tamil Hindus, uh, and they were really kind of united by their English speakingness, and I would even go as far as to say they were kind of Anglophile in their outlook. Um, they, 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 I think they see themselves and saw themselves as quite integrated into British society. Uh, although, ironically, they don't really have that many English friends per se. 
So I, I kind of always knew myself as a Sri Lankan, but I didn't I didn't feel unlike my like say my Gujarati but they had a very strong Gujarati community around them in, in Harrow and Wembley mm-hmm. and, and a deep culture that they were involved with on, on a kind of you know weekendly basis. There was always cultural events to mm. to attend, even things like Indian films. Like yeah. for me, yeah, I think Mamona made the point about um, you know, there's a lot of difference between Indian sorry South Asian communities and one of those things is that I, I don't really know anything about Bollywood culture for example because it's not that popular in Sri Lanka it's in a obviously in a completely different language that Sri Lankans themselves don't understand so um, you know it, it, it was quite a different experience and I think one of the key things for me is that my parents being from different ethnicities uh, in Sri Lanka they spoke English to each other as a British language so I never really learned my mum's language, which is Sinhalese, and that is a was a barrier and continues to be a barrier for me for accessing true Sri Lankan culture in some ways. I think, um, and I think I think like you, I, I it took me longer to become familiarised and proud of, and have have a slightly better understanding of of that history of, of Sri Lankan culture. So yeah, it's complicated. It's complicated because, you know, w- within Sri Lanka, I'm already a kind of minority. And then within the South Asian community here, I was also a minority as well, let alone being a minority in general in the country. So yeah, that would be my experience. Um, I can relate to some of those um, feelings of like resentment that growing up, especially at the younger kind of primary school age, um, I always, you know, I think only just remembered as we, I was listening to you guys talk that I hated going to um, weekend kind of uh, Islamic schools and then Bengali schools. And I just resented not being able to have a free weekend like all my other friends. And so the older I got um, and the more vocal I became, I was kind of pushing it all the way because I associated it with no fun and no freedom. And after like primary school age I actually went I think I didn't face as many challenges and feeling like conflicted between the two cultures in my secondary school I you know went to a very um multicultural inclusive school and it introduced me to you know something I'm so grateful for to the arts very young at a very young age and um I felt like I wasn't so aware of the conflicts between like my Bengali culture and like what I was being taught at school my friends were really open where you know we bonded on something beyond kind of our cultures and what we had in common or not um but I guess I definitely associated Bengali culture as a negative for a long time because it just felt so difficult to kind of fit into it and I felt like I was a little bit more western than all my mum's kind of friends children who were based in East London and I grew up in Maida Vale and that weren't there weren't that many Bengali um, communities and if there were they were kind of just their own families and I was kind of felt like an outsider so um, you know I'd rather just stay at home read books watch Dawson's Creek and um, not really be part of that (laughs) Um, (laughs) looking back on it now I can see you know if it was an environment where it was a little bit more kind of welcoming to kind of have your opinions about the Backstreet Boys rather than talking about like you know I don't know what it is that the kids were talking about I definitely just didn't feel like I could relate to a lot of Bengali kids that I was being introduced to through my mom and my family but yeah. So 
a funny story. I used to be. I used to have to go to Gujarati school on the Saturday. So much like you, I also was um, made to go to those. And I once it was my birthday. It fell on a Saturday. So I remember writing a contract um, and making my dad sign it, which meant which meant that he had to let me not go to Gujarati school that day, so I could go out with my friends to the cinema. But I wrote an actual contract and I made oh him sign God. it. <laughs> Funny. it's you know it's really interesting I think it's one of those things where when something is like you know pushed on you by your parents you like run in the other direction so for me contrary to that no one told me to I had to go to Quran school but no one told me to like there were no Urdu classes or anything so I sought that out myself at GCSE level so I dropped French and took on Urdu because I really wanted to connect with my culture which is so it's really interesting because no you know maybe it's one of those things um but uh, yeah, I think it was much later in life that you actually learned to appreciate that being brown is awesome and all of this stuff. I think it's also, I think the thing we forget is that we're never really, we're not first generation and we are also British. So in a way there's a kind of, we're kind of mutants and I think we should celebrate that. I think we're allowed to be two things or more at the same time and we shouldn't put that pressure on ourselves to fit into that society but I think we all did that but I think that was the that was the trick that we kind of missed or no one actually told us that Um, and I think if we were able to appreciate those two sides and celebrate them as they were we would have been a lot happier but I think I think we do that now um, and we're trying to make sure the next generation doesn't feel that way Um, and hopefully with insightful talks like this other people understand South Asian culture a little bit better as well. But yeah do I need to answer the best and worst thing? I think (laughs) honestly the best thing right now personally for me so um kicking off my writing again and you know being part of like South Asian poetry circles that's really connecting me with my culture and just that's just coming out with so much richness and dealing with subjects like intergenerational trauma um but also kind of finding the magic in South Asian culture and like across all the different like diaspora and everything that's really giving me a lot of pride in my heritage right now um But yeah, I think some of the worst things that we really could leave behind and we don't need to take into the next uh, era is things like colorism. Um, You know, as you said, Dina, like this whole obsession with like the body of like women. And, you know, you've got this whole Mm. Netflix series right now, matchmaking or whatever, which is just really showing the worst sides of the things that we don't need to take on. But I think British South Asians actually are in a beautiful position of kind of celebrating the good things because there's a lot of good things um and then anything that we don't need to take on we really don't need to so that's how I see it okay so actually that's a great segue into the next question so what's the one thing that you wish you knew about South Asian culture that would have changed the way that you view things now I mean I think it's just just a little bit like the little bit of education um that I'm giving myself about kind of the contributions at least Bangladesh made to kind of wars how they gained their independence you know how families migrated to the UK you know just knowing the story really helps in kind of providing that context and I wish I knew that because you know if the pride that my parents my family took in being Bangladeshi and the way that I just brushed it off as if it was nothing I mean it's kind of disrespectful now I look back on it and I wish I had just known and I wish they had like maybe they did try to educate me and I just pushed it away but I just feel like 
I should know that and that should have been at school as well not just my parents trying to tell me or me trying to find out myself but you know why why am I here in, in the UK how did we end up here like if Bangladesh is so great why did they move to the UK you know a little bit of that narrative would have really helped and now I think we're all old enough to have these conversations back then you know that community didn't exist they were just trying to fit in they were trying to like make the most of their lives and so perhaps having that visibility um, would have been really useful to kind of feel a little bit more pride in being Bangladeshi being South Asian and so on. I have to say that I think that there are certain things to do with you know if I think oh, I wish I knew about the language, for example, that that's quite a major thing. And I think that would have certainly given me a a better connection with Sri Lanka itself. You know, just very basic things like going on holiday there and being able to communicate with people. Um, on the flip side of that, I don't really know whether my parents, if my parents had explained to me more about their experience when I was younger, whether that would have impacted me. I think that there's a certain amount that I think that as children, you know, you, you children seek conformity anyway. Do you know what I mean? And I and I wonder whether I wonder whether actually sometimes we beat ourselves too much about having to understand everything about our identity and background. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it, it's okay to let it flow. It's okay to understand that you will change over time because you will do that in any case, whether you're a minority or not. You know, there's definitely an added level of complexity. But what I've found is that amongst my friendship group I've got a real um, diversity of how different South Asians have treated um, their identity and it's not really to do particularly with which background they're from in South Asia but more to do with them as an individual but to put it bluntly I have a lot of South Asian friends who just don't care about it at all they've got they've been educated in the country they have strong links to their community but they went to university they studied, I don't know, law and finance, and they've done really well for themselves, and they just kind of get on with their lives, right? Uh, there's other friends I've got, particularly the ones that I've met through my academic studies, because I went on to do a master's and a PhD in my subject area. And obviously, in that kind of circle of friends, people do dwell a lot more on issues of identity and class to an extent. And I, I, and I find that amongst that group of friends, there is more... Uh, thinking about identity so I think I think you know it, it really varies from person to person from family to family about about what that identity means to them and I, I'm personally I'm cautious in terms of thinking about a message to the next generation and what should be imparted and what shouldn't be imparted I think a lot of it is down to yeah of course I mean the the minority community in general but also the South Asian community has changed so much since I was since I was young, and the second generation at my at my age is now you know now the third generation is being born right. But at the same time, there's other pe- other South Asians who have had later migrations into the country, and for them, the second generation is still a thing. And I think it's it's really quite complicated to for, to navigate. But at the same time. I think there are certain things that will always be the case. And I think it will always be the case that as we grow older as individuals, we will start to appreciate that history and background more and more. And I think that's partly just a human, not necessarily confined to being a minority or not. Yeah. And I I think for me as well, like when I was thinking about this question, like I was exposed 
to some of the best parts of my culture growing up. I mean, and and the worst, right? Like with all the kind of chit chat with the with the undies that I call them, but like you know, this, I did get exposed to some of the best parts. Um, I just wish that there was. I wish that I knew that there was so much more to our culture than what like what was used as an excuse to behave in a certain way or to be a certain to act a certain way and I wish that I didn't I, I didn't conform to those things and I wish that I ignored those things because I think that I would have really enjoyed taking part in our community events and things like that and you know we have those events I sh- sh- I mentioned earlier we have quite a few events that we do and we celebrate and I I chose to not partake in any of those things because I wanted to kind of sh- I stay away from all of that and I, I wish that I didn't do any of that and I wish that I didn't listen to those people that were very negative towards uh, me um, and I think that that's one of my regrets when I was growing up was was, was listening to all, the, all of those people. Yeah and I I kind of agree with you know everything that you guys are collectively saying I think shows like Never Have I Ever on Netflix really do um, kind of cover the conflict that I think a person has when they are black or a person of color and then also British because you're trying to kind of manage these two identities Um, and I take Ishan's point that some people don't even think about it at all but I think more more and more recently I think people have started to celebrate their South Asian culture and understand the kind of magic and the power that it does actually have and Dina as you said that some of the stuff that we saw growing up was actually a distorted version of the culture Mm -hmm. I don't Mm -hmm. think it was actually like its best or what it could what potential it could actually have and that's something we've actually learned growing up for ourselves as Momoda said learning that educating yourself about contribution to Britain or how you've kind of how what a great nation you were and all that kind of stuff and I think it's those two parts of your identity and you're allowed to celebrate both but I think it is kind of there are certain things that I think certainly would have helped me when I was younger to not necessarily uh not run away from the South Asian culture but I think when you're navigating and the mainstream is white mainstream there is a conformity um as Ishan says that kids are just always going to lean towards so skipping into the next question um who are your South Asian role models um and why um, so, so for me, um, one of my uh, main role models is um, is a cricketer. Actually, uh, no surprises given that I'm Sri Lanka. And <laughs> he's a, his name's Kumar Sangakkara, and he played for Sri Lanka, kind of between I think 2000 and 2015. Um, and you know, he's, he's an internationally regarded uh, cricketer, one of the greatest the country's produced, and he's been a really important voice in terms of bridging. Um, the gaps and the fissures that have developed between uh, different groups in Sri Lanka in the, in the last um, in the last kind of you know 30 odd years, to be honest, because there was a major civil war for a long time, um, you know, from the early 80s to 2009, and even though that war has finished, the the post-war settlement has been very uh, uneasy in terms of ethnic tensions, um, and I think. Sangakkara is, you know, he's from the main Sinhalese Buddhist majority. So for him to talk about a unity amongst different people um, and uh, the kind of, let's say, the leading by example, which I'm, I'm afraid a lot of the politicians in Sri Lanka don't do, uh, mm. as, a, as a sportsman and as a kind of a figure that the country is really proud of, you know, because of his sporting achievements on a global stage. 
Um, it, it means a lot to, I think, Sri Lankans that want to stop thinking in terms of, you know, the tribal identities of the, the island and more as a kind of unified nation. And, and I think he also brings a great deal of pride to the diaspora communities in UK and Australia and Canada and the United States as well. Again, because of not just the, the message that he puts across, but because of his achievements on an international stage. And, he, you know, he was invited to give a talk at the MCC, which is the kind of, I guess, the posh bastion of, of colonial cricket history, if you know what I mean. And, you know, they've always had an annual address to talk about the game. And, and he used that platform really to talk about um, about unity and, and in some ways the perils of nationalism to a certain extent. And and I guess the use of, of sport as a, as a bridge between all those different communities. So for me, he's done done a lot of great work in, in terms of, you know, offering up a genuine Sri Lankan role model. For me, I think... Uh, Riz Ahmed really embodies kind of he's like the way he's trying to break the image of what Asian people are seen as like they're not in the arts they're not like creatives they're not rappers um, they're not actors I think it's brilliant what he's achieved um, and he's been a part of such good content as well he's he's always all like kind of picking projects that I'd love because they're not they're not the goodness gracious me stereotypes he always goes for something completely different um and that's just always a real joy for me to see and like really inspirational and I one thing I really like about him is that he really thinks about kind of identity and what it is to be British and of course we know that from his like recent record of the long goodbye which addresses his relationship as a British South Asian and Brexit and what do you do when your own country rejects you um because he sees England as his country right um which I think it's, it's just one of those things, again, that I think a lot of people who are black and brown, um, you know, other like English races, white races may see you as like, oh, your allegiance is probably to like India or to Pakistan. And it's like, actually, no, because if you drop me there today, I wouldn't actually know how to survive. Um, and, you know, it's it's that whole thing again about identity. I think he does it beautifully. Um and yeah, I think generally it's his activism. Um, so I relate to that part because he's always talking about how his rap music and his music in general is his activism and acting is kind of his way of trying to broaden the discussion about South Asian representation. So in that way, I also see the DNI work that I'm helping with in Pearson through Prime or Will is kind of the joyous part of explaining and educating to people. And then the poetry side of me or the playwriting side is the activism and that's where we're trying to push those narratives that you never ever hear um, and you, you kind of get to be a bit unapologetic so that's why he's an icon for me. Um, in that same vein actually do you know what I was I actually was going to say someone else but when you were talking about Riz you reminded me of somebody else that I really admire and is absolutely funny but in the most amazing way so Hassan Minaj right? Yes. I, I think he's freaking hilarious but you know what I love so much about him is the Patriot Act because I I'm not very good at like the whole politics and like I know enough to obviously you know vote and do all those things and make a really informed choice but the way he explains those things on his show and it through humor and through you know facts and, and everything that he's saying 
like I really admire that uh, for him to bring that kind of side of the world to the masses a little bit and in an, and in a way that helps us a- to be able to digest the information um because i i can i can always watch one of his shows and walk away having learned something new and like change your perspective or, or whatever it is but i i really admire him for for bringing that kind of uh television program especially as he's obviously pakistani as well so it's it's nice to have like that kind of representation there as well on screen so that's me this is the awkward thing hasan minaj is indian is he yeah and yeah. this is the thing that I often get as well because my dad's Indian Muslim and people just assume if you're Indian you're Pak- you're Muslim like you can't be Indian Muslim you have to be Pakistani so I know his wife is Indian right his, she's, his wife she's, is Hindu, Hindu yeah yeah and but he is Indian Muslim Muslim so that's why actually the thing yeah you learned something today didn't I you? learned something um, <laughs> so for me but the the reason why I do love Hassan Minaj as a choice for you is is you know I, I agree um when he actually I love his objectivity I, I don't think he like has an allegiance so even though he is Indian he did that episode on in Indian elections and how corrupt mm-hmm. they are and I loved him for that like he wasn't necessarily like oh yeah I you know my heritage is from this so I'm not going to go for them he did because he goes for everybody and he says this all the time he's like I'm just, you know, like a messenger. I'm I'm objective, I'm a reporter, I'm giving you the facts. Yeah. Um and that's regardless of like what my background is. So actually that that's actually one of the brilliant things um and that's why that episode got so many viewings is because he he technically kind of, you know, put everything out there. Yeah. Um and I think he even puts a segment in there where his parents there's yeah. like a little sketch and they're like please don't do this because we have relatives there and they're yeah. going to hate us. <laughs> and he's like no, it's it's happening because we need to we need to like pull the lid off this stuff. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, he's a brilliant choice. Um mine is not so kind of out there in terms of um compared to like Hassan Minaj and Riz Ahmed but mine is actually um Nobel Peace Laureate um Muhammad Yunus so he's a Bangladeshi economist who completely disrupted um an industry by um starting microfinancing um um through his grassroots Grameen Bank and this really resonates with me because my past four years I've been working really closely on entrepreneurship um, in kind of developing and emerging economies and he really champions um, entrepreneurship and specifically by giving small loans to very poor people and specifically 97 of the people that percent of the people that he gives loans to are women so that trust and um, confidence building and changing an economy by having really micro loans i mean we're talking about a pound 2 pounds making such a big difference to people's lives and this has been going on for years now and he hasn't given up on that kind of social entrepreneurship aspect doing something not to make money but to solve problems and i think it's so rare to have somebody from bangladesh just be in the news but to make such a big impact all around the world because since then you know all developing countries even western developed countries have taken on this kind of idea of microfinancing so for me it's him probably not as well known kind of in our circles but for me a real kind of icon but i think that's exactly the kind of people that we should also be like celebrating and learning about because it's not necessarily just celebrities right it should yeah. also be people who are on the ground and making mm-hmm. actual change in community so no that's awesome i'm sure people will go look him up now was what was his <laughs> name mohammed yunus 
Muhammad Yunus, yeah. yeah. Awesome. So, okay, we're going to go into a quick fire round now, which is um, don't think about it too much. I'm just going to ask a question and then you're going to shout out your answers to me. So the first question is, what is your favourite South Asian sweet treat? Mine is gulab jamun with ice cream. Hands down Mine the best. Ladoo. Ladoos, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it's barfi for me. Oh, good, good choice. Or, or, or maybe halva. I don't know. Oh, that's a good one. Interesting. I think I think for me, I mean, me and Dina were talking about this at length before. So I think it's either Ras Malai or it's this thing called Batisa, which some people don't know, but it's a really nice flaky gram flower thing with pistachios. I can't, re- I'm not explaining it very well. I'll try and add pictures later. After when, you, <laughs> when you post this, Dina, I'll, I'll yeah. post a link. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Okay. So my second question is a favorite South Asian film that you would recommend. Now, this is really hard for me to choose because I am like self-proclaimed Bollywood queen. I have lots of favorite Bollywood or South Asian movies or Bollywood in particular because I am hardcore. But if I, the one film that I have watched over and over again, and I can watch over and over again is Ham Sat Sathe. And I will put links in and the description I oh, bloody love that film I hate that film oh my god <laughs> that's, that's fine. <laughs> I really thought you were gonna say K3G but okay oh do you know what it is I can watch Ham Sat Sat here and I I cry every time at the given parts that you gotta cry so in awful. There's like oh no scripts but no I that's fine that's that's you <laughs> <laughs> everyone else what are you what are you gonna say uh so I'm going to put forward uh, a film called The Warrior, uh, which I actually saw not that long ago uh, with the recently uh, departed Fan Khan. Um, mm. And it's actually direct, directed by a British Bangladeshi, uh, Asif Kapadia. So it's an interesting thing because it's, it's a British Asian director, but it's, it's an Indian production and set in India. Uh, and for, for also just to add a, a really good series that I've seen, uh, Patal Lok, which is great. If you've got mm. to try, I'd really recommend that. Um, so if I'm going to be cool and recommend a really kind of indie film, I'd say The Lunchbox, also with Irfan Khan. Um, really touching kind of film and so clever, um, the way that it's directed and the script and so on. But um, if I go back to when I did kind of actively watch um, Bollywood movies, um, it's going to be a really uh, an oldie. Um, it's Hamap Kahir Khan. Oh, that's a great um, one. I mean, I think I watched that film when I was younger, like on repeat, like I must have watched it over a hundred times. Um, and I just wished I was uh, Mother E. Dixie then. Yeah. And I think still, because um, she's it's still- a classic. Still, it's a classic. She, right? she doesn't age. She just doesn't yeah, age. Have you really seen her recently? Oh. Yeah, she doesn't. Beautiful. So yeah, the songs and that, and the like humor and comedy and yeah, it's pretty cool. Awesome. And Fahana, what about you? I don't know, oh I, I love, like, film is something that I wish I studied. So for me, this is an impossible question. I don't know why I wrote it down. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think in the interest of um, our listeners going off and finding this stuff, I'm actually really going to recommend something I saw recently called Gully Boy, which is, um, I think, was nominated for an Oscar for Best Foreign Film and is on Prime right now, Prime, Amazon Prime. And... Um, it's it's a brilliant brilliant story it actually has a female um director Zoya Akhtar um and the whole story is about a gully boy so a working class uh dude from like Delhi and he's trying to just make it as a rapper but it's his journey to get to that and I, initially it, I really thought this was going to be a contrived movie and I put it on with like 
all the kind of misgivings and then actually it's so good because it's, it's his journey as a poet into rap music which is poetry um but it really really is brilliant and how they show like the intersections of him being muslim and also working class and just all the barriers that he has in life but um it's actually a really beautiful film um and and the poetry in it is actually really excellent so gully boy is the boy the the film that i'm going to go for Nice, nice. And then final question is, how do you like your chai? Now, I am very particular. So the the, the the tea bag can only be in there for 10 seconds and then it has to be taken out and the milk has to be like two teaspoons of milk because I like my tea to be really dark, but the 10 seconds in the, in the, in the hot water only. I don't know why. I don't like it too strong. Are you timing this the, the, the ten seconds? Yeah, or? yeah. I'm like I'm like one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. Ten seconds, and then the tea bag has to come out. But in that ten seconds, I'm stirring and I'm squeezing the life out of that tea bag, and then the most minute splash of milk because we've established in our previous conversation, Fehana, that I don't like milk. <laughs> I don't like drinking milk. The, the most smallest splash of milk, but the tea color has to be like brown like dark brownish brown in 10 seconds this oh, is what i'm the, thinking this is my follow-up question oh i let it the hot the hot the hot 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 water and then i literally with the back of the spoon and i'm squeezing the life out of that tea bag for 10 seconds yeah, anything more than 10 like, seconds it starts I to get a bit to, like, go off and water plants or something <laughs> and then come back to it because <laughs> it needs to be dark like it, it needs to be like oh if it's it in there too to, long to wake me up Oh, no, no, no. It has to be like, oh, the, the right amount. Anyway, that's enough of my tea making. What about you, Ishan? Uh, so, th- I mean, I don't really make it that often, but my favourite style of tea is definitely the, the the way they make it in Sri Lanka, which is um, brewed for a long time with condensed milk and cinnamon and cardamom. Oh, wow. That uh, sounds amazing. Is that yeah, a karak chai? Sorry? Is that a karak chai? Uh, it's like... I- is that what they call it? There, I don't know if they call it garak. That's based, the condensed milk is what they call it. With they they call it garak chai here, and they do it with condensed milk as well. I think I think in Sri Lanka there's not that many styles of making the tea, mm-hmm. uh, so they just use. And if they can't use condensed milk, it's just milk with lots of sugar, uh, which is weird because in England I don't actually take my tea with sugar, <laughs> so it's a real treat whenever I go over. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and also the the coffee that they make is also with condensed milk, so particularly uh, particularly sweet and refreshing. Amazing. I mean, I, I've half said how I like my tea. I literally put the tea bag in there and then just go off for like ages and then come <laughs> back. Um, and you know, garak in Hindi translated into English is like harsh, right? It's like it's like yeah. slap bang. It's like it's supposed to wake you up. Um, so that that's how I like my tea. It needs to be strong and it needs to like literally like wake you into action. Um, unfortunately, I also love sugar. So I literally limit myself to one tea a day. Um, Momoda knows this um, and judges me. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think that's how I like my tea. In an ideal world, though, when I have time, the milk has to be warmed up separately and then poured in. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but that's when you have time, right? That's like a Sunday treat or something. <laughs> Well, I think, I think I, in Sri Lanka they do it together all at the same time, so it's just so um, so good. Yeah, Sorry. amazing. Yeah, stop plugging Sri Lanka, all right? Sri Lanka's <laughs> got the best tea of all time, all right? <laughs> no, but it sounds brilliant. I'm jealous. Um, Mamoda? Yeah, so when I'm in Bangladesh, I mean, the thing that me and my brother look forward to the most is like tea time in the evening. 
Um, and that is like similar to the way that Ishan's just described the tea, where you you have the um, the like actual tea leaves, like kind of they also almost look like um, coffee grinds, and um, they cook that with like full fat milk with loads of sugar. And it's just bubbled for so long and then it gets all thick and they do the whole pouring thing so you get bubbles. Um, but we've never been able to recreate that here. I think it's just different tea and different milk. Um, so that's when I'm in Bangladesh and that is just like syrup. Um, here, I'm similar to Pahana. I think I like it brewed for a long time. No sugar though. And it has to be powdered, full fat powdered milk. That's like the Bengali in me. That's like a treat. We always use powdered milk. And it has to be the Bengali kind of imported powdered milk, which oh, is yeah. Nestle anyway, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> which is known to you guys as Nestle, but to us it's Bengali powdered milk. <laughs> I love that. Awesome. That's really cool. Okay. Well, Ishad and Mimoda, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I hope we've managed to share a little bit about our culture um, with our colleagues at Pearson. And to the people of Pearson, I hope you enjoyed our first episode of A Quick Joy With. Mm-hmm.